Chapter Eleven of Miss Frances Baird, Detective, by Reginald Wright Kaufman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which I am very nearly killed. Thirty-six hours with Kemp on guard over the criminal. It was all things considered what Yachtman would call an ample time allowance, and I resolved now that I was in town to strengthen my case by paying a little visit to Mister Frederick's city quarters. I went about the affair in the most matter-of-fact way. First I stopped at a Turkish bath for an hour, came out, breakfasted heartily at an expensive place, for I did not certainly know when another such breakfast would be within my means, and then, last of all, I resorted to the simple expedient of a city directory. There were, it seemed, two Lawrence Fredericks's in New York, one with rooms at an expensive apartment house on Riverside Drive, and another with more modest rooms on West 57th Street. Remembering the conversation which I had overheard between my man and the girl he loved, I chose the latter address as the more promising, and the event showed that I had guessed right. The place was an ordinary boarding-house, in fact a very ordinary boarding-house, and a rather blousy housemaid answered my bold pull at the bell. "'Is Mr. Fredericks at home?' I asked. "'No, miss, he ain't. He left the city yesterday for a place somewheres on the Hudson, and said we needn't expect him back before Wednesday.' I assumed my best air of perplexity. "'Dear me!' I exclaimed. "'How amazing! I am his cousin, Miss Baird, from Kansas City. I was coming up to the Deneen wedding, and wired him to be sure and meet me at the station. But my train was not so late as I had telegraphed him it would be, and now I suppose he's come all the way in from Black Springs only to miss me. I wonder what I had better do.' It was a poor bluff, but it worked. The girl eyed me sharply for the expert in physiognomy commend me to the New York housemaid. But I must have looked my part, which wasn't flattering, and she soon succumbed. "'Well, miss,' she said, "'I dare say, then, he'll be coming back here before he leaves town again, especially when he finds he's missed you. Would you mind waiting in his rooms?' I certainly did not mind. It was precisely what I was after, and in a few minutes I was left alone in them. They were the simplest sort of rooms, a sitting-room and a bedroom, the former, evidently furnished by the lessee, with a desk, a couple of easy-chairs, a few light novels, some books on mining, pipes, and a map or two of Colorado, whereas the latter, as clearly fitted out for the most part by the landlady, had a yellow varnished pine bedstead of the ordinary third-rate boarding-house sort, a bureau ditto with the usual drawers which, once rashly opened, can never be closed, and clothes-closet that had seen better days. To complete the identification of its regular occupant, there stood, on the bureau, a silver-framed photograph of Evelyn Bladesdell, and that, I remember, somehow foolishly angered me at the very start. I could not conceive how such shallow prettiness could inspire a man with a passion that would make murder seem worth while. My first point of attack was the wardrobe, but there I met with small success. It had hooks for six suits, and these were half of them occupied, whereby I reasoned that Mr. Fredericks had taken with him to the maples one travelling suit, one frock coat, and the trousers to be worn therewith, and only one suit of evening clothes, which went somewhat against the theory that much besides an odd vest and shirt had been destroyed in the Deneen furnace the night before. I rummaged through the bureau without striking any better luck, and then, after vainly searching the carpet and bed for any hidden papers, I subjected the sitting-room to a similarly severe investigation, with an almost similar result. Almost, but not quite, for in the desk I found a thing or two which would serve to back up my theory regarding a motive. First there was a bundle of letters, letters in large, square envelopes, elusively scented, 
addressed in a big, fashionable hand, and tied with a bit of pink ribbon. I hated to look at them, but I had to do it, and so I took only a glance to assure myself that they were what I thought them to be, and then tucked them safely away in one of the large pockets which, for such emergencies, I always have constructed in my underskirt. Next there was the money question, and that was nicely solved by another series of letters from a mining camp in the San Juan country, wherever that might be. There it appeared that Harold Jordan, for I read these epistles with small reluctance, an old friend of Frederick's, had found that a mine, abandoned by its owner in the panic of that year, was worth far more than the owner supposed. One letter told of this discovery, and an expert's assent to Jordan's conclusions. A second epistle said that the owner would sell for twenty thousand dollars. A third announced the finding of a Denver syndicate willing to buy from Jordan at two millions, on the expert's recommendation, and a fourth, dated only a week before, implored Fredericks to raise the ten thousand dollars, which was now alone needed to make him and Jordan rich men. It was all very technical, but that much I managed to make out clearly enough, and so, having convinced myself that there was no more to be learned in the rooms, I stowed the second batch of letters beside the first, and turned away, relatively contented. At the door I again met the housemaid. She had been gaping up the street. "'I have determined,' I said, "'not to wait any longer.' And in spite of the dawning suspicion in her eyes, off I sailed with colors flying. The trip back to Black Springs was absolutely uneventful, but stupidly as it began there occurred at its end something which was destined to change my whole attitude in the matter of the Deneen murder. All the way out I was thinking, of course, about the case, and the more I thought the more bitter I grew against that fop of a Bladesdell girl whose weakness and inability properly to appreciate a man worth ten times her charms was responsible for the death of her fiancé, and would probably end by hanging her lover. Candidly, I didn't like my job, for, for the first time in my brief experience, I had met a criminal who was personally attractive. I honestly did not want to think him guilty, and yet I could not honestly think him anything else. Consequently, I took my revenge by anathematizing Evelyn, and I was so thoroughly worked up about her that, by the time I reached the little Black Spring station, I decided to cool off by refusing the solicitations of the single hackman and by walking all the way to the Maples. It is as pretty a walk as, I suppose, you could find anywhere within so short a ride of New York, and that is saying a good deal, too. There are the rolling hills, the woods, the farms, the well-kept country places, and every five minutes there is the broad blue Hudson which ought to delight the eye even of a troubled woman detective. But it didn't delight my eye all the same. That was turned severely inward, and perhaps this explains why, just as I drew near the Deneen gates, I not only failed to see, but also failed to hear what suddenly approached me. I only knew that, out of a sudden steep crossroad, there tore a huge black shape, an automobile going full tilt, that I could feel the terrible onrush of its breath, that then, just as it was actually within an inch of me, a man sprang through the hedge at the other side of the way, that, at the peril of his own life, finally disregarded, this man bounded across the road, caught me as he went, and that, finally, he tumbled over with me to safety, in the dust on the other side. They were all out of the car in a minute, foolish people from a nearby place, clamorous with frightened inquiry, but I picked myself up at once, sound and whole, though scared and dirty, and looked at the man beside me. He was dust, too, from head to foot, scarcely a romantic figure, 
and the blood from an ugly cut over his eye was just beginning to creep down the side of his face but he was erect self-possessed and laughing too and it was just then as our glances met that i realized that i was in love with the man who had murdered jimmy Deneen. End of chapter 11